Good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Michael Talercio, pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. And we're in the Old Testament, as we have been for this morning. We're in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 18 for today. And as Pastor Jason said in the most recent devotional, I have been kind of switching off and on with him every now and then. Uh, with Second Samuel, at least I, I will be for the for the near future here, and I've been we've kind of been trading back and forth uh, in the uh, account of David and the rebellion of his son Absalom, and we're getting very close to the resolution today. We won't quite get to the very end, although we 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 will uh, get to a pretty decisive moment in the account today in chapter 18. But before we even do that, let's ask for the Lord's help as we go to his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear from you in Second Samuel. We are people who are as much in need of your mercy and grace as David was in his day, and also as Absalom was, Lord. All of that which happens in today's passage would that befalls Absalom is at the very least what ought to befall all of us but because of your grace because of your son because of the one who is much better than Absalom even much better than David we are able to be made right with you and protected from even ourselves and our sin uh, through this king through the true king your son Jesus we pray that today for his glory this passage would help us to honor and love and worship him as our king, to come under his leadership and under his protection, more so than than the day before and the day before that. We pray, Father, that you would be gracious to us uh, for his sake, for our king's sake, in his name. Amen. All right. Second Samuel chapter 18. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third of the commander of Abishai, the sons of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Idai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us, but you are worth ten thousand of us." Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate, while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Idai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. 
And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Idai, For my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor-bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own no name, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. Then Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, And the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king. And the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, See another man running alone. The king said, He also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimeaz cried out to the king, All is well! And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, Your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. 
And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. We have a famous passage of scripture today, uh, at least in part, with Absalom and him getting caught up in the oaks in the forest there by his hair. Uh, If you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably heard this one. Um, It's a pretty famous passage. And we didn't really make much when we were in chapter 14 of Absalom's hair, although we were given some details there. And so if we were to turn to chapter 14, verse 26, we read, that when he, Absalom, cut the hair of his head, at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight. And if we look at the footnotes and we do the math, it comes out to about five pounds of hair that this man would cut off his head every year. I don't know how that's possible, although I believe it's true I guess I did know one or two guys growing up that could grow hair uh, really quickly, but um, this is a lot. And so (laughs) Absalom is, you know, in the midst of this battle against his father, um, and he is uh, pursuing David's troops, and they're out in the forest, and he rides under a tree, and his hair just gets tangled up, and he gets caught in the middle of... Uh, the air between heaven and earth, as it says in the passage. And so this young man happens upon him while he's there and doesn't do anything but goes and tells Joab. And it's really quite sad uh, that Joab is in charge of this battle. We found in the beginning of the reading from today that David wanted to go out into the battle but was instructed by his commanders not to. And that's possibly in part because in the previous chapter, as Pastor Jason pointed out, The Council of Ahithophel, which was pretty solid counsel in and of itself, had uh, been such that he was recommending to Absalom that Absalom and all of his men only pursue David, that they target David specifically. And so perhaps David's commanders in today's chapter are aware of that, and so they don't want David going out. They know that David is so valuable. He is the most valuable man out there on the field, or or would be if he were out there. But as a result, David stays behind, and Joab's in charge of the whole show, as he has been at numerous points in the past. But because Joab's in charge, and because Absalom is suspended in midair there and helpless... Uh, in this scenario, and this young man has gone to Joab and told him that he has seen Absalom suspended there. Joab replies in classic fashion with a gruff sort of response, what What do you mean? Why didn't you kill him when you had the chance? And And the young man responds by saying, well, you know, I I know what David said to you and the other commanders. I, I We all heard it. He doesn't want us to kill Absalom. He wanted us to deal gently with him. So he gives this reply. And then what I think is helpful for us is to see that this young man also describes to Joab, Joab's character. 
probably because he had to give a reason as to why he didn't kill this man, knowing that Joab, his commander, would have wanted him to. And so he says in verse 13, you know, if I had dealt treacherously against Absalom, if I had killed him, knowing that David didn't want us to, and as it says in parentheses, there's nothing hidden from the king. David's going to find out about this. You yourself, Joab, would have stood aloof. You would have just thrown me under the bus. You wouldn't have had my back. And then Joab replies in verse 14, I will not waste time like this with you. And then pretty horribly, he takes three javelins in his hand. He goes and thrusts them into the heart of Absalom while Absalom's just hanging there by the tree. And then even more heinously in verse 15, 10 young men, Joab's armor's bearers, surround Absalom and strike him and kill him. Joab and his men, they go way overboard. They could have easily killed Absalom with a single stab, but we have this army surrounding him here in verse 15. It's just, it's wicked, I think. Um, Nevertheless, what I think is instructive for us is the way that this young man speaks to Joab in verse 13 and the way that Joab responds. Because the young man brings an honest uh, charge to an honest explanation to Joab. He needs to, because he's a soldier underneath Joab. He needs to give him an honest reason as to why he didn't kill Absalom. And when he does, and when he gives an assessment of Joab's character in his reply by saying, Joab, you, you would not have had my back on this. Joab says, I will not waste time like this. And I wonder if there are times where we're tempted to respond to honest character assessments of, of us in the same sort of way that Joab does. When somebody corrects us or even presents truth about our character that we don't want to hear, do we reply with, I don't have time for this? Do we write off correction? I, I hope not. I hope we don't want to be like Joab in today's passage. And if we are, well, let's keep going. Because as we come to it, we see David hearing this news. And, you know, we could we could speculate here as to this section of text with Ahimeaz who is on David's side and why exactly he wants to run and go share this news with David. And then when he gets there, he doesn't say anything and... You know, just, you know, in reading the commentaries, one commentator said that Ahaz, Ahimeaz maybe didn't have the heart to tell David what had happened, knowing that David, David's heart went out for Absalom, went out to Absalom. But whatever the reason there and for whatever happens uh, and why it happens the way that it does, we understand at least that David is heartbroken over the death of Absalom. And so he's weeping. Uh, and he's lamenting honestly and openly over the death of his son. He loved his son. And so we see a sincere response there in his weeping. But perhaps he's also weeping over his own sins, which led him to lose his son. Recall back to chapter 11, where David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah as a result. And this led to a sword 
as Nathan said in chapter 12, verse 10, a sword that would never depart from David's family, from David's house. That sword is now falling on David's son, Absalom, in today's passage. David's sin has led to this situation where David's son has lost his life. And so perhaps it's the case that David is not only weeping over the loss of his son, but weeping over the sins that have led to the loss of his son. And I wonder if we're meant, in seeing his lamentation in today's passage, as New Testament Christians, Christians who can actually look at the New Testament and the Old Testament together, I wonder if we are meant to see a parallel between David's lamentation in 2 Samuel 18 and Jesus' lamentation in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is the greater David, the true king. And whereas in 2 Samuel, David is weeping over sin the sin of himself and the sin of his son Absalom and Absalom's death. Jesus is weeping over not his sin, because he doesn't have any, but the sins of Jerusalem. And in Luke 19, beginning in verse 41, we read, And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, in Jesus, we have a king who weeps over the sins of Jerusalem. Not over his own sin, because he has no sin. King Jesus is absolutely free from the sins that David committed. But Jesus, by his own choice, is not free from the sins of his people or the ramification of those sins. And I hope that this just makes us realize that the weight of Jesus' sacrifice, his loving identification with the sin and the mess of his people, the sacrifice that he makes on behalf of his people, I hope we see that we realize the weight of that is indescribable in its scope and in its generosity and in, in his graciousness. The weeping that David does over his son Absalom brought about in part because of his own sin typifies the perfect weeping of Jesus over the lost. And so if we're those who have trusted in Jesus, who has paid for the sins of his people, let's not be like Joab today. Let's not be unwilling to hear correction or honest evaluations from others and to say, I don't have time for this. Let's honor Jesus, who has paid for the sins of his own, by being willing to hear from people. So that if we are sinning, or if we do have a habit that we need to address, that we would die to our desires to shun wisdom, to shun loving counsel and feedback from others, to shun the aid of God's Holy Spirit 
and instead to hear, to be slow to speak in order to honor Jesus quickly. Let's ask for his help as we do that. Father, thank you that you have given us this word in 2 Samuel, this this man, David, who we can read of and we can see what it's like for people uh, to make a mess of their lives. We pray that you would help us to lament the mess, the messes in our lives that we've made because of our sin. Please help us to grieve in the way that David grieves over the loss of Absalom in today's passage. Help us to know that we are so much like these men that we read of, these sinners. We are just like them and would be, we would actively do the very same sorts of terrible things that they have done were it not for your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that as we see these men, we wouldn't look down on them, but we would be instructed by the ways that you worked in their lives, in their circumstances, and the ways that you use their lives to point us forward to the promised one who wouldn't be like them in sin, but in every other respect would be like man. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus identifies with his people, even without sin, He weeps over their sins. You've wept on behalf of your people, O Lord, and you have saved your people by going to the cross. Thank you that you have done that perfect and gracious work for us. We pray that we would be transformed today to hear feedback, to hear criticism, to hear rebuke, to hear correction, and to want to change for Jesus' glory, the one who saved his people. In his name we pray and praise you for him. Amen. Well, I'm glad you could join us today, brothers and sisters, for this look at 2 Samuel 18. We're not fully finished with the story we read of today, and we're going to be back in uh, 2 Samuel 19 on Thursday. Pastor Jason will be taking us through that, but tomorrow we'll be in Acts chapter 3. So hope you can join us for both of those, uh, but in either case, go confidently in Christ the King who has provided forgiveness for you in his blood, and live for his glory today. God bless you.